Welcome to episode 21 of the Civil War Breakfast Club, joined by my co-host wearing her hockey jersey, the goaltender from Goderich, Mary Fincher. I am Darren Weeks. Mary, how are you? I'm good, Darren. How are you? <laughs> superb, superb. <laughs> For those listening, I'm wearing my Boston College hockey jersey. Yeah. Because, uh, Canada and USA are playing each other tonight for the gold, and I really don't care who wins, because well, either way, Boston College kids will win because there's that's BC, true. There's like BC that's students true. playing on both sides, including the yeah. Canadian, obviously the Canadian BC. The students. Canadian, and yeah. I'm wearing my USA hockey jersey, and I just want them to beat those dirty Canadians <laughs> and uh, and bring home the gold. Whatever happens, this bigger fish to fry, but it's a good thing. U.S. the World Juniors hockey is tonight, the final mm-hmm. gold medal game between. Yep. You're a little silly little country up there <laughs> and this country down here. So we'll see what happens. Again, will be on later on tonight. So by the time this drops, we'll know when I fully expect the Canadians to win admittedly. But you know what? You, you never, never know. know. Either way, I know. see myself as winning because I'm cheering for the, the Boston College. <sighs> there you go. But you see, you got all those yeah. Eagles. But as we start episode 21, holy crap, 21 episodes already. I know. It's crazy. I know. So we've been at this for like, I was thinking about it tonight. Five months. Every single week we don't want to do it. We missed a week. Yeah, yeah, we have. Yeah. It was August the 9th that we finally came up with the name Civil War Breakfast Club. And with mm-hmm. an hour of that, I had our, our Podbean account, our Gmail mm-hmm. address, our Twitter account started, and our Instagram. You are a rock star, Fincher. Aww. You are a rock <laughs> star. Small, without you, Weeks. Small, you're a small one, but you're, you're, you're a rock star. <laughs> and anyway, now we have our website. We have a website, civilwarbreakfastclub.com, so check it out. And we're going to talk about some different things here today. We're going to talk – We're gonna. I know we get some business to take care of here with our – mugs and stuff like that we do we're gonna have some fun tonight mary we're gonna stay out west i think this is almost like the empire strikes back episode of, of this podcast is we're gonna talk about some confederate victories we're gonna be talking about the beginning of the vicksburg campaign which is going to talk specifically about holly ridge and chickasaw bayou so we're gonna do that and talk about that so if you're a sherman or a grand fan you might want to cover your ears on this one because it's um, <laughs> i promise it'll get better as the campaign goes on but at this one, it's probably not going to be as good. So, By the way, did you mean Holly Springs? What did I say? Holly Ridge. Oh, oh it's a golf course around here. <laughs> Holly Springs. Oh, just headed that one out. Yeah, I don't know. That's what happens. That's like your course. Cape Cod bait. You used to call it the um, Cape Cod Breakfast Club or something like that. Oh, God, we'd start this episode over again. <laughs> oh, Canada. Anyway, Holly Springs. Yes, I have. I did my mind works. Anyway, you know, all right. So, okay, enough. <laughs> hey, what are you drinking, Mayor? I am drinking Life in the Clouds, which is a double dry hopped IPA by Collective Arts Brewing Company, which is one of my favorite Canadian breweries. And the reason that I bought this is because, okay, not only does the can have a moon on it, and I'm obsessed with anything with the moon on it because of the 11th core, mm-hmm. but the artwork on it also like, looks like the guy might be biking through a swampy area or a bayou. Look at, look at you, a creative. At yeah. Okay. You got a mug game tonight? I stopped at the Lipo tonight. Wow, big spot. Well, it is Mm. Tuesday. (laughs) Sherman. Okay, Sherman. Okay, good call. Good call. I'm drinking because of Grant Cold Harbor IPA, which is going to be kind of representative of this effort for him today, unfortunately. I couldn't bear myself to find a Confederate mug, so I'm going with the old Silvery Civil War uh, soldier mug. But hey, speaking of Holly Springs... You know, we'll talk a little bit about the West. We seem to have a lot of fun in the West. We came up with a really, really good podcast last week. And now we're going to kind of focus a little more on the Vicksburg campaign, which yeah. is a long campaign. That is. I mean, and the, the one thing to say, like we just did Stones River last week, but mm-hmm. this is something that is happening almost at the same time. As we talked about last week, Carter L. Stevenson's troops going to Vicksburg yeah. are mm-hmm. a major reason why the, the Confederates lost that battle because they'd lost all those men. But th- these are events that are happening almost simultaneously. Yeah, so it's almost like, I don't want to say real time, but it's pretty close. So real mm-hmm. quick, do a high level overview, as they say in my business world about Vicksburg. And then we'll kind of drill down on Holly Springs, Mayor. I can't believe you said Holly Ridge. But anyway, the Vicksburg campaign, it really, it really starts on December 29th, 1862 and ends on July 4th, 1863. It is a key strategic city for the Confederacy right at the Mississippi River. Jefferson Davis was quoted, he says that Vicksburg was the nail that holds the South's two halves together. His peer, Abraham Lincoln, you may have heard of him. He, um, he says Vicksburg is the key 
the war can never be brought to a cease until that key is in our pocket. So right off the bat, you see how important this is. I mean, strategically, and a lot of people feel, myself included, in a lot of ways, that the Vicksburg campaign is the most significant campaign in U.S. American history, as far as battle history. Vicksburg's blocked the Union from sailing down the Mississippi River. It allowed the Confederacy a communication line across the river to the Western states. It helped them supply them for food and horses and mules and anything else you can come up with. It was strategically, defensively a powerhouse. It was the Gibraltar of the Confederacy. Uh, Strong defenses, high hills. It's perfect for artillery. Area around it, as as we'll find out, is just about impossible to get around. It's it's like a hairpin bend almost. Yeah, it's kind of like like West Point in in that regard. Uh, Surrounded by a bunch of small little rivers, we'll talk about the Yazoo. Uh, we'll talk about. It's got a bunch of swamps around it. It's mostly wilderness. It's a real shitty play. We can't get by with large groups, horses. Mm. Basically, the Rebs defended it really, really well. I mean, before December, we got to talk a little bit about David Farragut's his Navy. So, mm. you know, he had approached the city in May of 1862 and he got turned back and he went back to New Orleans and Lincoln said, get back. Turn, turn the boat around, go. So we tried again a month later and got pounded again. They couldn't deal with the rebel artillery. They just couldn't deal with it. At the time that he was doing that, Farragut was having some health problems too and he wasn't feeling the greatest, but he shows up to Vicksburg at some point and just demands the surrender. And the guy's like, nope, we don't do that here. See ya. Yeah, he did. He, ding dong. You know, <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, nope. Nah, no, no, no surrender no. here. You know? I'm not playing that fucking game. No. So. <laughs> they tried to dig that DeSoto Canal to go around the guns yeah. and half the guys died of disease. And finally, a month later, July of 1862, they said the hell with this. Everything was kind of, it was an, such an important thing. Politically, as we get into the fall of 1862, shit was going down too. Henry Halleck had just been promoted as general-in-chief of all the armies. One of the first things he ordered Mary was he ordered Grant to make that move on Vicksburg. He says, you got, you got to take it. You know, if you got to, if 1862, he's like, go, go west, young man. You, you, have to, you have to go do that. And right off the bat, it caused a domino effect that trickled down that all led to these battles. It did, yeah. And there, the Vicksburg campaign will have about 11 different battles and its Navy operations there's different troop maneuverings, there's failures, there's drama and infighting that happens as well as we're mm-hmm. going to see. And I found a really good quote from Mark Twain who describes the, the campaign. And he said, the war history of Vicksburg has more about, about it to interest the general reader than that of any of the other river towns. Vicksburg saw warfare in all its phases, both land and water, the siege, the mine, the assault, the repulse, the marment, success, captivity, and famine. It's everything basically. And we are going to, just for our listeners, we are going to look at the early operations against Vicksburg that Farragut conducted at some point. We felt it warranted a separate episode rather than discussing it. I would say a solid three episodes. So we're going to talk basically about the lead up to Vicksburg from December on, and we're going to stop after Chickasaw. And then we'll eventually we'll go back to Farragut and we'll talk about later on with, you know, Champion Hill and the mine and explosion. We're going to go, we're going to do it all, but today we're going to focus on this. But before the battle starts, we do have to talk a little bit about some of the stuff that was going on in Washington heading into this fall too. Mm -hmm. So we mentioned before Henry Halleck had been promoted general in chief of the armies he tells Grant to move on. John Rollins, who was a longtime aide to Grant in the war, and later he, he was part of his cabinet, I think the Secretary of Defense, I think he was. Mm-hmm. You know, he got a report that there was large numbers of Midwestern recruits that were being reported to Cairo, Illinois. They were going to be under the command of one John McClernand. Clearance a Democrat from Illinois. Basically, he's a politician in Army's uniform. You know, he was a subordinate to Grant before. He was at Fort Donaldson. He was at Shiloh. But he was not liked also friends with Abraham Lincoln mm-hmm. as well. Lincoln does him a lot of favors, I think, but the one reason that Lincoln gives him the, you know, he promotes him to being brigadier general, but at the outset of the Civil War, McClernand raised a bunch of troops for him. He needed a Democrat, you know, he needed to hang on to a Democrat and McClernand was that. So this is a completely political thing that Lincoln is doing with this. But yeah, Grant doesn't like him because he's politically appointed. The other reason Grant doesn't like him is because McClernand has a tendency to brag about his exploits, but at the same time, he brings others down. Like he kind of elevates himself, but then, you know, diminishes the role that others might have had. That is one thing Grant does not like about him. Well, he, which he, I found he would, interesting. Well Grant, well, Grant, as we know from other battles, I mean, he anybody who seems to be popular or seems to be some sort of rising star in, in the Washington's mind, Grant's got an issue with. We just, we mm-hmm. talked about that, but, but this one's a little bit different. You know, Halleck tells Grant point blank. He says, and I quote, and I quote, the enemy must be turned by a movement down river from Memphis where they were 
as soon as sufficient force can be collected. And so Grant gets this order. He goes, what the freaking hell does that mean? Force being collected? You talk about these recruits? I mean, who's in charge? Am I in charge? Is this McClernand in charge? Is Sherman in charge? Was Halleck in cahoots with McLaren to usurp his command. So all these things are going through Grant's mind. Mm -hmm. But Grant gets clarification from Halleck and Halleck says, no, you're in charge. You know, you're in charge of the the troops in the theater. And so Grant says, okay, ding, ding. I got it. Fast forward to November 20th, 1862. This is when Grant kind of decides what what he wants to do. He wants to stay within those guidelines that Halleck gave him. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, he wants to stay ahead of McLaren, right? So he tells Sherman to basically go into motion from Memphis. He wants to link up with him somewhere near Vicksburg is what he wants to do. If they combine their armies, it's around 40,000, 50,000 or so. If, if they combine, they get there. So Grant's going to go to a place called Holly Springs. Mary, not Holly Ridge. Okay. <laughs> He's going to go to Holly Springs, which is right near Oxford, which is a college town down there in the Mississippi area. He's going to get down there early December 12-5, right around there, 1862. And because he see he gets down there, Grant does, and he really has no resistance. He's also getting suspicious of McLaren at the same time too. So he tells order, he tells Sherman, stay up there back in Memphis. I want you to organize these new recruits, okay? And for these guys that are earmarked for McLaren, I want you to get them. And I want you to train them and get ready. And then we're going to have you come down. Bit of the backstory behind McClernand and this feud between him and Grant. It actually goes back to the Battle of Elmont. And that's where McClernand's men had, they ransacked the Confederate camp after they thought the Confederates had retreated. And then McClernand proceeded to start making a victory speech. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Confederates counterattacked. And then there was issues at Fort Donaldson too. So it's not just this whole like, he's a political general, but he's, he's in Grant's eyes, he's fucked up along the way. But, but to your point, yeah, they're trying, Grant is trying to stay ahead of him. So he's got this kind of two pronged attack plan with Sherman to not only try and take Vicksburg, but he's also trying to keep ahead of McClernand as well. So he wants Sherman basically to jump on the boats and he's going to have to steam down the Mississippi. Just fast forward the overall game plan. He basically wants to have Sherman attack from the river, down the Yazoo River, and attack the northern part of the city. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, what he's going to, what, Sh- what Grant wants to do is he's going to be in Oxford, which is a little, about 20 miles, 25 miles northeast of where Sherman's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. He's going to attack there, hoping to drag some of Pemberton's troops to Oxford to weaken Sh- the Yazoo so Sherman can attack a, a smaller force. And in a nutshell, that's kind of what happens. But, mm-hmm. but he saw this granted as fulfilling of Halleck's orders because that's ultimately what he wanted to do. And we'll get into some details. But, but before we do, we got to talk about the other team, Mary. Yeah, they're gonna be, who's right? in charge there now? Is it's going it's Pem- to be John C. Pemberton. Pemberton, who is, mm-hmm. he's a northerner from Pennsylvania and he married yeah. a southerner and that's why he ends up fighting for them. In the early days of the Civil War, General, oh God, am I getting his name right? Scott? <laughs> Winfield Scott? Yes. I'm here to help her. (laughs) I just, I kind of blanked. I'm like, I know the guy, picture him. I've said his name a million times. General Scott calls him to Washington to offer him a command in the the army and Pemberton's like, nope. Mm -hmm. And he, he fights for the South because of his wife and his wife is from Virginia and she writes him and she says like, Jeff Davis has a command for you. And that's basically what happens. He has this lackluster service and Miller in his book about Vicksburg says that his Northern birth and upbringing along with his lackluster service record made him a strange choice to command the only Confederate army protecting Vicksburg. But we'd see Davis's track record with his commanders Mm. and somebody like Pemberton is not a shock. Pemberton, interesting dude, like you mentioned, he's from Philly, he's from Philadelphia, Mm. Pennsylvania. So West Point class of 1837, he was the roommate, Mary, of George Gordon Meade. So I bet there was some good stories there. But as to your point, he ended up joining the Confederacy because of his wife from Virginia. So he um, had a tough time with that one. Another, you know, another situation with that one. He does a pretty good job here. You know, he has limited troops. He's limited what he needs to do. But you know what? He's nervous. You know why? Because he's starting to get reports that Grant's moving. He's moving south. And he only has 6,000 guys covering Vicksburg. So he's getting reports from Earl Van Dorn. We'll talk about here a lot in here a little while. I'm looking forward to discussing you know? him. Well, he's, uh, <laughs> I've got some information about Van Dorn. Uh, uh, definitely. There's a couple of barns <laughs> in his life, I'll tell you. But he's, you know, he's reporting an, an impending invasion by Grant. He's a cavalry guy. We'll talk in detail about him in a, in a bit. But Pemberton's nervous, so he orders Van Dorn, who was at Holly Springs at the time, to fall back to a place called the Tallahatchie River. 
which is just north of Oxford. It sounds like a real happening place. Mm-hmm. And set up a defensive line there. And then basically go behind a place called the Yolabusha River in a town called Granada, which is midway right on the Tennessee-Mississippi border is kind of where it is. And he's going to basically tell him, look, you're outnumbered like, we're outnumbered like three to one here. And we have no chance against Grant, especially if he's flanking us. We can't take him to do it. We're not mm-hmm. going to be able to do it. So he's going to say, well, I need to get some troops. First place he asks is he asks a guy named Lieutenant General Theophilus Holmes in Arkansas, a fantastic Starbucks man, Mary. <laughs> that, that is Keep perfect. that one in mind, okay? <laughs> he goes to him and he says, listen, you guys aren't doing anything because you're just sitting there. Can I get some troops? Holmes says no. You know why? Because he hates Pemberton. So he has a quote. He writes and he writes, Pemberton has many ways of making people hate him and none that inspire confidence. Okay, well, thank you very much. Have a nice day. That's a Hallmark card right there. So, <laughs> so the Pemberton goes to Braxton Bragg. Well, he goes to well, for, he goes well. Okay, this no, is, wait, he doesn't go. To, he goes to Davis and Johnston. He, he goes. This is this is where it's funny. Is we get to cross over now. Yeah. Go back in the way back machine to last week. He goes to Davis. Davis is like, all right, listen, I got this pain in the ass situation brewing. I got to go visit this freaking Bragg. I'll, I'm going to come down. So he's going to basically come down. So he decides before I do, he goes, I need to put an adult in charge in this whole area. So this. He puts Joseph E. Johnson in command of what they call the district forces in the West. Mm-hmm. He's recovering from his wound in the peninsula that led to Robert E. Lee rising there in the East. And shockingly, Johnson doesn't want to go. He's like, forgive me in a way. He basically says, listen, you can conduct the war any way you want out there. No one's going to stop you. But he makes a mistake, though, because he gives him control from the Alleghenies west of the Mississippi River. That's it, which does not include Theophilus Holmes' troops in Arkansas. You're in the Trans-Mississippi. Right. right. So Holmes is like, I'm not fine. I already told you no. I'm, I'm, I'm no. So he, no, he, so again, it's a mistake on Davis's part. But listen, yeah. you're trying to get soldiers, but he kind of gerrymanders it away where he can't get those guys from Arkansas. So Bragg ends up having to send Carter L. Stevenson's troops to Vicksburg, yeah, so, which is, so, as we discussed uh-huh. last week, why Stones River was most likely lost. Right, it's, it's exactly what it is. He's all, all tied together. So Davis, he's getting pressure to come visit anyway because he's got go, to go see Bragg. But there's a Mississippi senator by the name of James Phelan. He says, listen, um, shit's getting bad here, Mississippi. Morale sucks. You, you might want to come down. So he sends him a letter and he writes to Davis. He writes, enthusiasm has expired to a cold pile of damp ashes. Okay. <laughs> if, you're, if ever your presence is needed, this is the hour. That's what he says to Davis. And Davis is like, shit, now I have to freaking go. So he's going to go. He travels to Mississippi. And he's, he's going to, I'm going to go satisfy Phelan, but I got to deal with Bragg. Right around now, he's getting news of Fredericksburg and he's all excited because, oh my God, we, we got this battle. Yeah. So he's feeling pretty good now. So he meets with old Braxy in Murfreesboro, like we said last week, to deal with, the, in, deal with all that infighting. And he meets with yeah. him. And this is to your point, Mary. He says, listen, I'm getting pressure from Pemberton. Holmes isn't giving me any guys. I need to take Carter Stevenson from you and send him to Vicksburg. And it's funny how the other side of what we talked about last week, right? Yeah. So now Carter Stevenson's 8,000 division is going to be going sent to Pemberton to Vicksburg that we'll hear about later on. Braxy loses all those troops and they end up going help Pemberton out in Vicksburg. Mm-hmm. One thing that I, I do want to mention too is Earl Van Dorn was actually in charge in Pemberton's role and he just kept fucking up. Well, he had that real bad situation, Mary, was he was in charge of Vicksburg. Yeah. We put that martial law order in. Yeah. And he basically said, you know what, I'm in charge, martial law. And they were like, up yours, martial law. And they ran him out on the rail. So it's funny. Now he ends up kind of, I don't want to say saving the day, but here he comes again, part yeah. two of this, you know, the, the search for Curly's there. gold. He's been demoted. City Slickers is a great movie, by the way, but I've never seen the sequel. <laughs> I did catch that reference. Oh, you, miss a, you miss a lot of stuff, man. I thought you might have missed that one. Okay, well, thank you. Thank you so much. You know, anyway, he's, I guess you could say, demoted. Like, he's not removed from the army, but he's demoted to being in, in the, the cavalry. Is now a good time to talk a little bit about Van Dorn? You know what? It's all about you. Knock yourself off. No, 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 Van Dorn, you're talking about him. He's an interesting cat. And we'll go back to some other stuff. But absolutely, uh, Van Dorn is a guy who we'll be talking about throughout this. And he's definitely one of the more colorful people in the yes. entire war, without a doubt. Yeah, he's graduated 52nd in his class of 56 in 1842. Um, he starts off in Texas. He's briefly in Virginia for the Civil War before being transferred to the West to command the Army. The Trans-Mississippi Theater gets his ass kicked at Pea Ridge. Then he gets transferred to the Army of Mississippi 
and then he gets then he gets kind of quote unquote demoted to the the cavalry. You've told the story many times alive. He ends up getting shot and killed on May seventh, eighteen sixty three, for taking some guy's wife to the bang barn one too many times. Well, <laughs> they say he was looking for love in all the wrong places, Mary. Yeah. <laughs> no doubt about that, as they say. So he end, he ended up hooking up with a woman named Jesse Peters, the wife of a doctor named George Peters. He gets himself in trouble, so George Peters, the doctor, finds out about it, goes to his headquarters in a, in a place called Spring Hill, Tennessee. This is May of 1863, and he says, hey, can you do me a favor? Can you sign my pass? I want to get through the Confederate lines. I want to go off for a while. The guy's like, sure, no problem. Signs the pass, and then he pulls a whole Indigo Montana on him, kills him, <laughs> and then uses the pass to escape throughout the line. And that's the end of Earl, of Earl Van Dorn. You know, you mentioned he had the real shitty experience of P. Ridge. He was mm-hmm. in second Corinth, didn't do anything. He was a very, very mediocre guy in every aspect of his life. Bad, your school wasn't that great at West Point, not great in battle. Although we're going to find out here, this is Holly, Holly Springs is probably his high point. It, this is the high point of Van Dorn's Yeah. Career. You know, going a little bit back to the campaign. So we're, we're talking mid-December of 1862. Mm-hmm. The plan, again, is Grant's going to come down first. He's going to set up camp. He's going to try to get Pemberton to pull troops away to Oxford. And then Sherman's going to come steaming down the river, kind of go, go up the Yazoo River. He's going to set up the old Yazoo, Mary. <laughs> and then he's going to attack the city hopefully with a weakened force. But what he needs on both sides, but especially the Union, they need secrecy. They, they don't want anyone to know what's going to be going on. And this is a mistake the Union makes. Is About a couple of weeks before this whole thing goes down, they send the USS Cairo down, and it gets sunk by a mine or a torpedo, a place called Haynes Bluff, right along the Yazoo River. But you know what this does? It freaks out Davis, freaks out Pemberton, because they know the Union's close and they're probing. So any sort of complete secrecy Secrecy kind of goes out the window with the Cairo. They still tried to sneak it past them, but they knew that there's a reason why that gunship was patrolling there. And what they were doing was they were going to basically bombard the guns on those heights, and that was going to be setting up the initial assault. So it, it kind of took a little bit of the uh, the jump away. But again, it ended up kind of not really working anyway. So Pemberton's nervous, right? He's going to he's going to basically decide what we're going to do and. Van Dorn basically decides with a, a couple of guys from Texas that they want to be a little aggressive. So he's sitting down there by the Yolubusha River. How you pronounce that? You know, easy for you to say. And he has a plan. He wants to take his cavalry guys. He wants to, he wants to handpick basically three brigades, around 3,000 troopers in the cavalry. And he wants to go up to Holly Springs. And what he wants to do is he wants to ransack the supplies. He wants to mess them up so there's no supply lines. If he, if he destroys their food their supplies, their weapons, they know Grant has to go back to Memphis. He has no choice. He's going to have to, to quote you, have to leave the dance floor. Yeah, and okay. he's going to have to leave it pretty quickly. And this raid was, as you said, it was actually Texas Cavalry Officer John S. Griffith who suggested to him. And Miller basically says of Pemberton that he does not possess strategic acuity. So he's like, okay, let's. I get, I get that. I get that a lot too. It's okay. <laughs> but so there's going to be a total of 3,500 Confederate cavalry that will ride in, ride in from Granada. And they go, they managed to go around the Union at Oxford. They managed to sneak by the cavalry that Grant had out looking for them because he was expecting this, but they managed to sneak by him. Before entering the town, Van Dorn divides his forces, has some of the forces on the road leading south from town, and they're posted there to prevent reinforcements from reaching Holly Springs because he's trying to cover all his bases in this. Like he literally wants to make sure they destroy everything they've got there. Now, going back a little bit, when the Union arrived in Holly Springs, the citizens, which are mainly women, they are not happy to see them at all. And on this march to Holly Springs, the Union troops, they're, they're doing shit they shouldn't be, basically. They're taking stuff from farms. They're basically being like the bummers on the March of the Sea, except there mm-hmm. have been no orders for them to do that okay. at all. So they're not really earning a good reputation for themselves as they're going through the, the countryside here. And apparently the worst offenders were the 7th Kansas Cavalry, who apparently like they would smash windows and houses. There was one girl, I think she was a teenager, Cordelia Lewis Scales. Her family had a plantation near where the Union would have been passing by. And she said, it makes my blood boil to think of the outrages they committed. They're not going into a place where they're welcome at all. December 19th is when Van Dorn's men are getting close to reaching there. December 20th is the day that Holly, the raid on Holly Springs happens. And it is also referred to for a while after in Holly Springs as the glorious 20th because the citizens were so fucking happy. They were, they were, 
it was, the women it was, were happy to see Van Dorn. I bet they were. That was probably the happy to, save his happy life. to see them too. No, tell me about it. No wonder they had to order so much ice, you know. But Van Dorn, he wanted, you know, it was funny because he, he made a mistake. Well, it could have been a mistake. He left his artillery behind because it was going to slow him down, which is what got him in trouble at Peerage. He had no support. They didn't have the best guns either. They had a lot of shotguns and a lot of silly guns like that. Not, not really Spencer's or anything really good. But he wants to do this shock and off thing. He wants to roll through there. She mentioned he's got three brigades. He's got some Texans under John Whitfield. He's got uh, some Tennesseans under William Hicks Jackson and some guys from Arkansas, Mississippi, and Missouri from Colonel Robert McCulloch. It's interesting because they're marching through a lot of shitty weather too. The weather is, a, is an ongoing aspect for this battle because of this whole campaign, I guess it is, because it's cold and drizzly and crappy. Well, this is it's late December. in the campaigning season yeah. too. It's like we said about, you know, yeah. Stones River is a very rare mm-hmm. late winter battle that happens. Yeah. And this is what's happening here too. Yeah. Van Dorn's line is three miles long. That's how many guys he has, right? And to your point, they're staying as far east. The whole thing's based on secrecy. So they're staying 30 miles east. They don't want to get seen. Grant is oblivious to this point. He's still back in Oxford. Uh, Sherman at this point is still back in, uh, in Memphis. You know, he's basically planning, Grant's planning for Sherman to come down, like we said before, in, uh, in kind of dual-pronged attack uh, to deal with it that way. It's funny, around this time, I, mean, we, I guess we have to mention this, man. we've got to talk about Special Order 11, right? At least for yeah. a second, okay? Because yeah. it was right on December 17th, this was all going on, yeah. when Grant had that really bad order that he ordered all the Jewish people ejected from the area from, yeah. from trading cotton, and it would haunt him for the rest of his career. Uh, including his presidency. Lincoln ultimately ended up overturning the whole thing after some consulates came up to Washington and said, what the hell is this Lincoln doing? was pissed about it because, you know, there there were Jewish people fighting in the army and the issued, as you said, on December 17th, the Jews as a class violating every regulation of trade established by the treasury department are hereby expelled. So Grant is like, you're gone, get out of here. And yeah, within 24 of, hours, he wants them gone. Yeah, and part of this came from Sherman was complaining about it. He was saying, I found so many Jews and speculators here trading in cotton that I have felt myself bound to stop it. But another reason they say that Grant issued this order is his father, Jesse, came down to try and get his son to do him a favor. And Jesse is representing, I think it's Mackin Brothers, the Cincinnati Jewish clothing manufacturer. And Jesse had promised to get a 25% return on the profits, cotton. Awesome. And he's coming down to you know, completely take advantage of his son's position in this. And Grant is like, nope, you're gone, sends him packing. So there's a few different reasons why they think Grant would have done this, but it will, as you said, it will haunt him until his presidency. All, all the way through. I mean, yep. it, it would, but, but again, that's an issue. We mentioned man, primarily because it happened right with this all going on. Just the dates just kind of line yep. up. So, so Van Dorn, like I said, he, he's trying to be secret. He's trying to be quick. He doesn't allow his guys to light fires because he's afraid of the Yankee patrol seeing him. They pass through a village, Mary, called Pawn Attack. They're heroes. They're offering this, these guys whiskey and all this stuff. And to Van Dorn's credit, he says, you know what? Nope, ain't got time. We got to move through, which is, which is something you think about Van Dorn. He turns down, it sounds like a pretty good time. <laughs> you know, and eventually- <laughs> He though, knows the ladies are waiting for him in Holy well, Springs. Was, was, tell me about it. <laughs> eventually what happens though, is they do get spotted. The, the Yankee cavalry does finally see him. One of the scouts sends a message to Grant, which gets all fucked up and he'll get him later, but they do get spotted. So we're getting close to the same dates, but you know, right around the 19th or so before the, the 20th that you mentioned, all these Union soldiers are encamped. They're, they're having a uh, big, preparing for a big Christmas holiday dance at Holly Springs. I don't know how, the, how what kind mm-hmm. of fun that would be. But Van Dorn at this point is only 30 miles away. So he's not far. This is where you get luck. Speaking of speculators, Cotton, he catches three northern speculators, Van Dorn does. He steals their clothes, and he steals their passes. And he dresses up three of his troopers and gives the passes. Go, I want you to go to Holly Springs and go see what the hell they're doing. So they walk right into the town. No one even questions them because they got the pass and they got the clothes. And they come back and say, dude, they're fucking partying. They're, we got them, right? And so they're having a great time. And so there's no resistance. More importantly, they suspect nothing because the whole no. thing is based again on secrecy. So now Van Dorn's yeah. like, well, here we freaking go. But the funny so, thing about all this is the fact that Grant has sent telegrams, all the commanders yeah. that are in posts along the way, mm-hmm. including Colonel Robert C. Murphy, who is at Holly Springs. He gets the, te- the telegram during this party and he basically ignores it. Alcohol might have been involved in that. Not 100% no. known, but, you know, maybe, I don't know. Maybe or call me maybe. 
yeah probably call me i think i i think murphy is getting close to call me maybe at this point but he he basically is like this isn't fucking happening and he stays at the table and keeps drinking so murphy real quick so he you know he he gets the report from grant because grant finally gets the mention before he finally gets that report from these scouts i mentioned a few minutes ago yeah he doesn't think they're van Dorn. he thinks they're from a guy named red jackson that's who he thinks it is. Red Jackson's Calvary. That's that's what, the, what it said. So he tells him, "Listen, um, you're getting impending shit about to happen." And he goes, "That's cool. I'll I'll, I'll let my guys know." And he goes back to bed. To, to your point, the next morning, five o'clock in the morning, knock, knock, knock. Who's at the door? But a slave. And he says, "Hey, um, I don't know if you want to know this, but there's like a whole shit ton of Red Calvary people coming." And he's like, "Oh, okay." Thanks for letting me know. Let me telegram Grant and says, the guys you told me about are here, but I'm going to go back to bed again. So he goes back to bed again. He wakes up and it's sunrise to the sound of gunfire. Now the shit's going down. It's crazy. Like every cavalryman with Van Dorn has two things, turpentine and matches. And they, in eight hours, managed to destroy the supplies. They burn the shit out of everything. The women who are basically the only ones left in the town because... There's not any men there because they're off fighting in the Civil War. But the one thing they do destroy there is the three-story Masonic building. Yeah, well. Yeah. It's strange. But, but so mention the women. So it's sunrise, you know, picture Van Dorn. They're rolling through the town. They're screaming with that rebel yell. And yip, yip, yip. They're making, you know, typical cavalry. The soldiers are still in their tents. And they're getting out and they're just running. One soldier in, the, in Van Dorn's guy says, some ran all the way to Memphis. That was some of the quotes yeah. they said. You had the local women, to your point, cheering. They're out the windows yelling, kill them all, kill them all. Sounds like a fun yeah. place. You know, listen <laughs> to the, the, that old Metallica album, one or the other, you know. And so Murphy, you mentioned him, he gets caught in his house. He's still wearing his nightshirt, probably with his Holly Springs hanging out, probably. And he gets arrested. There's all kinds of rumors about how they captured Julia Dent Grant. They arrested her, which is kind of an urban legend. Her and Jesse had got out the night before and were headed towards Grant because they were staying at Holly Springs. Mm -hmm. But they had left on the 19th before Van Dorn got there. But to your point, they use that turpentine in the mattress liberally. I mean, oh, they, they burned out. They find all the supplies. That was their, their, don't forget, that was their target, was the supplies. They find all the supplies in a place called Depot Street, which happens to today now be called Van Dorn Avenue. Funny how that works out. They find a bunch of shoes. They find a bunch of food, weapons. They burn it. They take all the stuff. They steal the guns. They're sticking pistols in their pockets. But you know what they find, Mary? Whiskey and cigars. Yep, and they're so smoking Van, the federal cigars. They're walking right, they're around smoking the cigars. cigars. They're drinking the whiskey, and Van Dorn's like, fine. They're definitely enjoying that. It's so and, embarrassing for the Union, though, when you think about it. And there's one of these cavalry officers from the from the Confederacy. His name is his last name is Dupree. He says that the Rebel cavalry after this was the best equipped body of cavalry in the Confederate service. Every trooper had from two to six pistols, one or two carbines, one or more sa- one or more sabers, and all the ammunition, rations, blankets, shirts, hats, boots, overcoats, etc. his horse could carry. They took what they could carry, and then they burned the shit out of the rest. They did. They, they absolutely destroyed it. So they set boxcars on fire that were full of clothes. They did what they did too is they were smart because they knew it looking over their shoulder that these guys were not going to be here. These guys are coming. So they cut the telegraph lines mm-hmm. around like 11 o'clock. Grant's trying to reach them and he can't, which is a bad feeling when you can't reach somebody and you know what you're worrying about them. Basically, what happens is now he's starting to get a little concerned. So, about mid afternoon, there's smoke pouring out of Holly Springs and the buildings, everything's going, including Julia Grant's new carriage, Mary. They burn her own new yeah. carriage, you know. Van Dorn's now going to send scouts in all directions to look for Union soldiers. He's going to tear up the tracks. He's basically going to sit there and say, okay, it's mid-afternoon, 3, 4 o'clock. He says, you know what? We're done. Mission successful. A couple of things he does, though, he bags all 1,500 guys. He catches them all, including Murphy. He captures them all. um, But he can't take them with him right? It's like Ebenezer Creek. So he has to parole them. So this is where Murphy really screws up, by Mm -hmm. the way. He agrees to sign the parole. What Murphy should have known was they can't take us. So if we don't sign the parole, they're going to say, fuck it, just go. What the hell? But he signs it, which means they cannot fight again until they're exchanged. So this takes 1,500 guys away from Grant that he could have used on this campaign because Murphy was not did not think more than five seconds. He's just grabbed and said, He was I'll probably still it. drunk from whatever he was doing the night before. Yeah. Probably still had his CS nice shirt on. So <laughs> they destroyed, you know, almost 2 million bucks of 1862 money worth of supplies. Mm-hmm. 
dealt a real kick in the nuts to Grant because Grant, I mean, it's almost like a, so, like a five forks situation. Yeah, for it's, it's really, this is another thing that I realized in studying this, like I've looked at the Vicksburg campaign before we covered it last year on Real Sorter podcast, but we looked more at Chickasaw and just briefly at Holly Springs. But when you look at Holly Springs, it's one of these things that it's a lot more important than what it's made out to be. It has a huge impact on, you know, it changes things in the Mississippi. It literally fucks up Grant's two-pronged plan that he had with Sherman. Because not only do you have Van Dorn doing what he's doing in Holly Springs, but you've got Nathan Bedford Forrest doing shit too. That's fucking things up as yep. well. He's doing more supplies. He's got those squirrel guns and those old shots. He's got the real shitty stuff, yep. Bedford Forrest. But so Van Dorn, he's going to go ride north. He's going to go try to connect up with Forrest and go whatever they're going to do. You know, Grant is getting killed on the press for this now. They're, they're ripping him for yep. this. Because now his supplies are completely gone. He knows he has to go back to Tennessee. He, he said that's it. But the problem is jumping on the boat up in Memphis is Sherman. Because of shitty cell connections in Tennessee, he doesn't know what's going on in no, Holly Springs. and Grant sends him a message that tells him that because they had planned to be at a certain place at the, almost the same time to do what they were going to do with this two-pronged approach. And Grant sends him a message that says, I'm not going to be there. And Sherman never that doesn't get that it. Message. Now Sherman gets word, we'll discuss this in a few minutes, he does get word of Van Doren's raid, but because he doesn't have actual confirmation from Grant, he continues on with his plan. Yeah, I mean, he has no choice, but he has his orders. So he's gonna, he has no idea what's going on at Holly Springs, and he has four divisions. So now we're talking about Sherman, of course. 32,000 guys in, on 12-19, the day before the, 20, the, the big raid. So right around the same time, he's going to arrive at the Yazoo River, which is just north of Vicksburg on Christmas Day. And his plan was flawed. With the, the grand thing changed everything. He thought he was going to surprise Pemberton. He thought Pemberton still had only the 6,000 guys. He didn't know that Stevenson was coming, who hadn't arrived yet admittedly, and he didn't know that the guys who were going to be used to attack Grant were on their way back to. So he thought he was he was fighting 6,000 guys. He was going to catch completely by surprise because Grant was going to be pinning down Pemberton along the uh, Yolabusha River, and he was wrong on both. So he's going into this already fucked. What he's doing is he's walking into a buzzsaw. He doesn't know it yet. No, that, he, that's... he doesn't. And he issues, it's on December 23rd. That is the same day that Grant tries to warn him and it doesn't get to him. Sherman issues orders to his four division commanders, George A. Morgan, a guy named A.J. Whiskey Smith, who apparently enjoyed whiskey. Well, how do you know? Maybe he didn't. M.L. Smith and a guy named Frederick Steele, who sounds like someone that would be going to the bang barn quite a bit. I wonder if old AJ, if he did one shot of bourbon and put him out for the night too. I wonder if that's how that works. You know, it's funny. How that but, but, but so he gives them so, a hand-drawn map of the Vicksburg area too, and basically tells them what they're going to be doing. While this is all going on, Pemberton is now, he's like, okay, now he's starting, he's still nervous, but he's feeling better. So he's hearing from his scouts that Grant is in fact retreating. Yeah. This isn't a, a Wheeler situation back at Stones River where he's mistaken. He knows he's retreating he knows he's going back and now he knows he can redeploy his troops from that oxford holly springs area back down to do with sherman sherman meanwhile we mentioned before about the cairo and but now the rebs know they know sherman's coming but they don't know where he's going so they they know he's going to be coming down the mississippi at some point they know roughly what the deal is but they just don't know pemberton transfers three brigades uh, from the yavalusha to north of the city around a place called Chickasaw Bluff. Got that one right. The terrain we mentioned at the beginning is brutal. Now you got to think it eventually is. Sherman is going to have to land. He's going to have to march his troops overland to get to Vicksburg. So yeah, the it's, terrain it's, it's, is it's, crazy. it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's completely, it's swampy. It's impossible. Swamps, snakes, clowns, forests, <laughs> everything's in those woods. It's all tangled. Right? And in some areas are really narrow to the point that they would only accommodate two troops walking through it. So Pemberton basically orders this guy, Stephen Dill Lee, who's been tasked with the defense at at Chickasaw. He's a West Point graduate. He's 29 years old. He's friends with E.P. Alexander, our good friend E.P. Alexander. He is. He certainly Um, is. So he has written him in November saying that the Yankees can never take Vicksburg. Our batteries are too strong. And so he is charged with the defense of this. So he's placing artillery and he has rifle pits on like kind of an elevated table of land. So I would imagine it to be a little bit like how Lookout Mountain was 
So there's that kind of like that, just that flat area where he's able to place rifle pits and art artillery. In some ways they are vulnerable here, but in other ways they, they have many advantages. As the Yazoo flows towards the bluffs, it splits left and right in forming a Y. And it is here that Lee places field guns and sharpshooters on the flanks of this triangle. It's going to be an absolute, as they call it, slaughter pen. It is. Ooh. That's water pen. But it's going to be a situation that's brutal. Sherman, you know, fast forward to December 21st, a couple days before Christmas. He's still on the Arkansas side of the Mississippi, and, he, and he's going to slowly start to move his way down. Rebel spies are all over the place looking for him. Christmas Eve, finally, they find out what, what his plan is. This is when the whole thing kind of unravels for Sherman. So, And this is, again, by happenstance. So on Christmas Eve, there are two rebel guards who are playing cards in a building and along the river just north of Vicksburg. All of a sudden, a small black girl comes running in mm -hmm. and says, this steamboat's coming. They look out and they see seven Yankee ironclads followed by countless transport boats loaded to the gills with Union soldiers coming down the river, okay? The guy's name is Major Lee Daniels. That's the guy who, uh, who's, who gets this work. He happens to, he's a tele, he does a telegraph. By happenstance, Mary, he's the same guy. Telegraph Jefferson Davis had tell him he was elected president of the Confederacy. Same wow. guy, right? So he basically jumps on his horse and he rides full speed in the, in the rain. I don't know if he was yelling, the Yankees are coming, the Yankees are coming, Paul Revere. So I don't know, maybe, <laughs> he probably was. He finally gets to the, the station where, where the telegraph is and he telegraphs a guy at DeSoto, a place called DeSoto Station. He's typing, typing, typing. You know what happens? Nobody answers. There's no one there. And so finally, a guy named Colonel Phil Fall answers and basically says, Dude, what? What the friggin' hell? It's Christmas Eve. What the hell do you want? Because everybody's he, partying in Vicksburg. Right. He tells them there's a bunch of boats coming, and this is a real deal. So Colonel Fall, now he's freaked out. So he ends up traveling against Rainy out. He goes to a house of a Vicksburg socialite named Dr. William Balfour. Now, this is a picture of those big plantations. They're all, you know, they're all dancing. It's a big Christmas party going on. He's looking for a guy named General Martin Luther Smith. He wants to tell him what's going on. So he finds him. Smith ends the party, kicks everybody off the dance floor, Mary, and says, okay, this is it. Orders all the citizens, get the hell out of here. This is the real deal. But the Reds now know that Sherman's coming and he's going to be going on the Yazoo River. So they know so to your point, all those guns that Stephen Lee had prepared, now they got them, right? They're just yeah. gonna, it's like fish yeah. in a barrel. So, and that's when um, he goes to prepare all this is at this time. So he does it really, really quickly. Now it's funny, mm -hmm. flash forward a little bit after battle report, Sherman will talk about how fortified it was. And then Lee came back and said, it wasn't that fucking fortified. Yeah, yeah. We had to throw that shit up in a few days. Like he's even, he's admitting it was quick. Stephen, Stephen Dill, after the war, and it would jump ahead. He was quoted as saying, if he attacked immediately, we were fucked. But he yeah. didn't. And, and we'll talk more about that in a bit. But Pemberton, first thing he does, he declares martial law in Vicksburg. I could see Earl Van Doren going, fucking, you know, I found that. Didn't work. <laughs> but he does it. And so now, Lee, Stephen Dilley knows we're in a great spot because we know where he's coming from. By now, he's got about 2,500 guys. He's got 26 guns. and But he's placing them. And he knows he's got the rifle pits. He knows Sherman has to come across in one of only three ways. Once he lands, a place called the Sandbar, a place called the Old Indian Mound, which sounds very scary. And there's another path that has no name, Mary. It's just an area that goes around Chickasaw Bayou. They didn't give it a name. They know that this is how they, they have to, because if that's where they're going to land, they think he's going to land at a place called Johnson Plantation, which Dill predicted, which is that exactly what he did. On the 26th of December, 1862, he lands as predicted at Johnson Plantation. Now, he has 120 total boats and four infantry divisions. You mentioned the four, the four guys, A.J. Smith Whiskey, Morgan Smith, Washington, yep. and um, Morgan and Steele. So he positions them basically where he's going to take A.J. Smith, and he's going to basically be on the southernmost point, if you're looking at a map. And then he's going to take Morgan Smith, and he's going to be across opposite side of that Indian mound we talked about which is the base of Chickasaw Bluff. George Washington Morgan, he's going to be basically offloaded right in the, right in the plantation. And Frederick Steele is going to be basically be along the northern bank of Chickasaw Bayou, where it kind of opens up into the Yazoo River. So he kind of has it set up in a way, like a triangle, where the base of the triangle in the corner, like you can see what I'm doing with my hands, yeah. right? Because people <laughs> listen to this. But think of a triangle. The sides in the bottom is where Lee is. The point, the top, is where Sherman is. So they're basically surrounded almost like a triangle. And so the way Sherman positions himself, he's basically on a peninsula or an island. He's got mm -hmm. the rivers on both sides of him. He puts himself in a really shitty position. Yeah. Now, the position is good if they don't know you're coming. 
Well, they know you're coming. Hey, man, good position. No, it's not. Like Miller says in his book about Vicksburg, that it's an impossible place to fight to begin with, even if they don't know you're coming. But if if you're like Stephen Del Lee and you've done your what you you're supposed to do, and he's also got those sharpshooters at the the corners of those that triangle, right? He he was pinned. Now, a couple that you mentioned, you hinted before. Sherman, he was really good at geography and topography. He had this map where he must have bought one of those shitty maps at the gas station that doesn't fucking write. Because what the map showed is kind of a hand-drawn thing. It didn't show the terrain. And that was the key to the whole thing. It didn't show the swamps and the snakes and the clowns and all that (laughs) stuff that's in those woods. It just just basically showed point A to point B. So he just thinks, okay, it's going to march right across. That's what gets him in trouble. And he misread it. Admittedly, that's not the so, first time that this will not, not be so, the last time that, that Sherman misreads you know, the map either. And the other bad thing that happens to Sherman, now we're talking about the 29th of, of December, yep. is those troops I mentioned who are fighting Grant, now they're arriving. So this is 10,000 guys arrived for Stephen D. Lee. So now it increases his numbers. Now he has a 13 mile front of, of attack against these guys. So it gets, and it's getting worse and worse and worse for him because now it's Sherman. He's sitting there going, guys, I, I know I see him all too, but don't worry. Any second, Grant's going to start firing those guns. We're going to see. Just wait, yeah, watch. He's and waiting. he's sitting there and he's like, any minute now, any minute now. Then he's like, fuck. Then he starts to realize something's wrong. Yeah, they're, they're, he's, like, he's like David in, in Schitt's Creek. This is fucked. <laughs> he's like, because he doesn't know that Grant has failed at this point. So he's expecting, let's just wait here. As soon as Grant attacks, they're going to have to pull troops away and then we can move in. But it never happens because Grant's all the way back in Memphis at this point. It never happens. He realizes now, like a young Darren in the supermarket when his mother lost me, he was alone and they scared. Okay. And so he doesn't know what he's going to do. So he's going to have to attack. So he, he plans to have his divisions on their flanks, basically create a diversion. Mm-hmm. And the plan is use a diversion. And then he's going to basically try to attack the middle. So George Morgan's going to be in the third division. He's the guy who's going to be the one who's going to attack the center. So George Morgan, real quick, Mary, he went to West Point. But you know what he did at West Point? He flunked out. He didn't make it. But he told Sherman, he says, I got this. He says, and I quote, in 10 minutes, I'll be on those hills. Is That's this what he told Morgan Sherman. that you're talking about? This is Morgan. Right? This oh, is my Morgan. God. And Morgan's okay. got, Morgan came back later saying that he said to Sherman, we will lose men from this position. We will not take victory. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, this is, this is before and after. Okay. Yeah. This is kind of like the diet thing, the before and the after. This is with Morgan, except in reverse. Yeah. So Morgan, a couple of things he does wrong. He sets up pontoon bridges to go across this, this body of river. And you know what he does? He puts the pontoons over the wrong body of river. Yep. It, it's such a clusterfuck. So, so he finally realizes what he does, and he has to start moving these things. And now, when he starts to move them, he starts getting hit by artillery in the sharpshooters you mentioned. So, right off the bat, he's going to be screwed. So, he's going to attack using three brigades. A guy named John DeCourcy, who, when he got his orders, literally said, "My poor brigade." <laughs> That's how confident like, he was. I'm fucked. Like he's yeah. like. A guy named Francis Blair and some Iowans named John Thayer. So Sherman admittedly says, we're going to lose at least 5,000 guys here, but we're going to do it. Yeah, he said, we will lose 5,000 men before we take Vicksburg. And yep. we may as well lose them here as anywhere else. And that's when Morgan has said to have responded, <laughs> we lose men from this position, yeah. but we're not yep. going to fucking take Vicksburg. You know, the attack begins right at noon. It starts with artillery like they always seem to do. Citizens in Vicksburg said it sounded like an earthquake was going on. The whole, the whole ground was shaken. It's about four um, hours long, isn't it? This thing, like the... I don't know how long it was, but it was a while. It, was, it, it took a while. Sherman had 60 total guns at this. He actually had mm-hmm. a lot of guns. But right off the bat, those guys I mentioned, DeCourcy and Blair, come under heavy fire right off the bat from canister fire. Their line falls apart almost immediately. Those Iowans from Thayer, they went in the wrong direction somehow. They went too far to the right and got lost. It was just I mean, crazy what was and happening. So it's a comedy of errors right off the bat. A lot of DeCourcy's brigade, they did make it to Chickasaw Bayou, but they got pushed back by some Louisianans. Same thing happened to Blair. They had about five, 600 guys either dead or captured, but some did make it. I mean, they did make it. It's kind of, I think of it like pickish charge in a way, right? It they is. actually did make it, but they got against the bluffs and they were pinned against the bluffs because of the guns and they couldn't move. So they're 
using their hands and they're digging into the sides to protect themselves and they're just and it's raining and it's, it's kind of like what happens at franklin right too like there's yeah. things that happen at franklin as well o'connell in his biography about sherman he describes it as like in repeated attacks they were shot to pieces losing 1800 men and then sherman mercifully became convinced that the part of wisdom was to withdraw that this was not something that was going to happen it took him a little while though because so while this is all going on pemberton his cell phone rings and joseph johnson says hey um those guys from stevenson from bragg they're here. They're in Jackson. What do you want me to do with them? And Pemberton's like, I just send them all. I send all of them, as many guys as I can get. So they put them all on railroad trains. They sent them over. So that night, the feds are literally shivering in the cold with no blankets and along Chickasaw Bluff. Time goes on. Those guys from Jackson are coming. So they don't know that just yet. But you mentioned before, Sherman knows the writing's on the wall. At this point, he's lost like 1,800 guys and the yeah. Rebs have lost less than 200. And he has that quote where Sherman says, our loss has been pretty heavy and we accomplished nothing, which is something like the story of my life, Mary. But their ammo's running low. He sends David Porter back to Memphis to get more bullets because he's running low and goes and gets four million more bullets on how the hell you get four million bullets on a yeah. boat but he did but you know what he does though mary sherman before you mentioned he decides to go he says you know what let's stick this out whether it was ego or to avoid criticism or like something ego. positive he says you know something i i can't leave right now because this will be a complete and utter train wreck so he's like well what if i use the navy to bomb the rebs again to wreck those batteries right at daylight so we'll sneak what we're going to do is you know, basically going to, I'm going to get my best 10,000 guys and we're going to sneak over to a place called Snyder's Bluff under cover of darkness. And then we're going to attack and they're going to be there and we're going to be able to do it. So, so now, and then time flips now, it's New Year's Day and he's looking, you know, he's ready. It's five o'clock in the morning, he puts those 10,000 guys on the boat, but you know what happens? It's foggy. Yep. And the boat guys can't see where they're going. So, <laughs> Finally, they realize we ain't going to make it there, Jules. It's going to be like mid-morning by the time we get there. So we're going to be fucking screwed. By, they're gonna be, we're going to be pounded. Finally, Sherman has that come to Jesus moment and says, fuck. He says, you know what? Yeah, he's, um, he realizes he withdraws to the mouth of the Yazoo River. And he said, I was forced to the conclusion that we could not break the enemy center without being too crippled to act without any vigor afterwards. So he's recognizing that history. And, and you know what? It is Sherman's credit he knows when he's beat. He says, mm -hmm. I really Vicksburg at the time appointed, I landed, I assaulted, and I failed. I mean, to talk about, I mean, how often that's up, that's up there with it's all my fault at Lee at Gettysburg. Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. Say, say what you will about old Uncle Blingy, Mary, but he he told it like he, it was. and He admits it here. Like he said, I attribute our failure to the strength of the enemy's position, both natural and artificial, and not to his superior fighting. But as we must all in the future have ample opportunities to test this quality, it is foolish to discuss it. And he writes to his wife, Ellen. Well, we had been to Vicksburg, and it was too much for us. Yeah. But while that morning, while it's January 1st, and they're, they're thinking, okay, what do we do? They hear the trains arriving from Jackson, the sound of the trains, the soldiers cheering, and the feds hear it too. And, you know, and Sherman knew, he says, these are more guys coming. We don't know who they are. He knows Grant's going to be there. And he says, well, this ain't going to forget. So he... So that, that's going to be the end of that. You think about Pemberton, right? If Vicksburg ended right here, he's a hero, right? He Absolutely. beats Grant and he yep. beats Sherman. Yep. So he, you know, he defeats both of them. Um, he tells Jefferson Davis, he messaged him, and he says, Vicksburg is daily growing stronger. We intend to hold it. So right now, he's, he, so when you wonder like later in the Vicksburg campaign why Pemberton was so reluctant to leave it, I think the beginning of it's probably why, because he had so much confidence at the very beginning of it. And then Sherman, as if his day is getting friggin' worse, he hears that McLaren's arrived, and he's told by David Porter, oh, by the way, McLaren's here, and he ranks you, and he says he's taken over. Yeah. <laughs> McLaren, by that point, has already telegraphed Lincoln and said, left here by myself. He's like, so, so he, he got ditched. But the whole thing fell apart. And what it really did, this was through the third real attempt to try to affect Vicksburg that failed. So now what the Union knew is they were in for it. Mm -hmm. They knew that this was not going to be a deal that in his, I have to think, Mary, as soon as they saw the terrain, and once they saw what they were in for, they had to realize what it's going to be. Now, we're going to talk more about Vicksburg later. We're going to talk about Duck River. Yeah. And we're going, to talk, we're going to talk about the Yazoo again. We're going to talk about Champion Hill. We're going to talk about Big Black. We're going to talk about all, all the stuff that goes in Vicksburg. But I think what this told Grant and what this told especially Sherman was this is going to suck 
but it has to be done. But we don't know how we're going to do it. So the rest of the campaign is going to be stops and starts trying to figure it out. Not to give away the end of the story, Mary, but guess what happens? They eventually get it. Exactly, but, they do. But the, but the story is interesting, though, because it really shows ingenuity that they had to use to get it. And it was, um, it was very interesting. But it's a fantastic, fantastic lead up to it. I think the Holly Springs attack by Van Dorn is one that does not get enough publicity. It does, especially no. on the Confederate side. No, it doesn't. Um, it's it's one of these things that is it has such far-reaching effects. And one of the effects that it has is it forces Grant into a retreat. And in that retreat, he realizes something. So at the time, the weather is cold. It's not great. Grant is worrying that as he's retreating that he's not going to be able to be his army's not going to be able to be supplied so his field commander suggests that he organize foraging parties out from an area 15 miles east and west of the main roads from oxford and i'm sure this is probably starting to sound familiar to some of our yep. so what happened is mills for grinding corn were set to work and kept running day and night and fat stock were driven in and slaughtered by the thousands this is from the account of one of the soldiers and grant said that he was amazed to discover that his army could have subsisted off the country for two months instead of two weeks. Now, the foraging that happens is two different stories. If you read in Grant's memoirs, he says it's very humane and orderly, but his soldiers do tell a different story. One soldier said that as soon as they had their tent set at night, scores of the boys would strike out with their guns and shoot whatever was eatable. Sergeant Samuel Byers is involved in these foraging and raiding parties in, in this part of the Vicksburg campaign, and he would later be on Sherman's March to the Sea. And he described the Mississippi countryside as being blasted by war with barns and houses gone, burned by raiders of both armies. This is the beginnings of what they're realizing is something that can work for an army, that you can march and you can live off the countryside. And this whole idea of going, you know, 15 miles either side, very similar to what's going to happen on the March of the Sea. And that's when the light goes off in Grant's head about this, you know, that, huh. So you see the beginnings of what happens later in the war happening here. The other thing too that happens that is very similar to the March to the Sea is that slaves are joining in on this mm -hmm. too. Sergeant Byers, the same guy I spoke of before, he said that this was his first look at the horrors of slavery. Much like some of the soldiers on the March to the Sea, it was their first look at the horrors of slavery. And by the time Grant crosses back into Tennessee, state officials had estimated that the majority of slaves in the northern border counties, Mississippi, had run away. Miller, in his book about Vicksburg, says that it was not Lincoln's proclamation that was going to free them, it was the army. And that's very similar to what's happening on the March to the Sea as well. So this is another repercussion of what is happening in the Vicksburg campaign, is that it's causing a social upheaval. It's a threat to the culture of slavery plantation owners, and it's being felt in late 18th. 1862 in Mississippi, where 55% of the population is slaves. Yeah, it's it's you saw slaves helping the Union and helping the Confederacy, and, and this story we talked about tonight with whether Holly Springs mm -hmm. and and Vicksburg with the Confederate soldiers. I've always looked at Vicksburg from a top level is almost like a microchasm of the entire war, right? Yeah. It seemed like it was going to be a quick little milk run to take Vicksburg. And then they realized because of terrain, because of defense, because of miscommunication, because of mistakes, that it was going to be hard. And then Union needed to find as many ways possible to actually win it. So if you want to look at the Civil War in, in just in a quick little shot, Look at the Vicksburg campaign because it really is kind of a, in a microchasm of the entire war from beginning to end. Yep. Grant, although he didn't do well at Holly Springs, and it was a, one of his darker moments, especially with the whole order number oh, 11. Oh, the order thing, 11 and just right? the whole, like, just how, how many millions of dollars of supplies were lost. But again, I think when, when you look at the, the big picture of the Civil War, this is kind of like Stones River. It's not talked about as much because... Grant saw Stones River as not being a victory. Why is he going to talk about Holly Springs? But it changes the game. It is probably why Vicksburg goes on for as long as it does. Because if Grant and Sherman are able to do their two-pronged attack, who knows what could have happened, right? They would have got the time, Confederacy. I know this time Murfreesboro hasn't been fought, right? Right. This would have been right on the um, It would have been right almost exact same exact time. same time. Almost exact. So, but the, what they would the difference would have been though is they would have caught the Confederacy in Pemberton with their pants down because they still only yep. had six thousand guys. Exactly. If the timing worked out well, if Van Dorn's raid did not happen and Grant was allowed to to attack and pull those troops away and spread them thin. Sherman probably takes a city. Now, whether he could hold the city is a different story. He probably would. I mean, he would have had still about 50,000 combined guys. He probably would have. But the Confederacy knew how important Vicksburg was 
But they got them at that very time. You're just like with Stephen Dilso, to your point, they had an opportunity, but they just didn't move fast enough. This is a situation where they just needed that one more division to protect them. But you know what? They got it. And they were able to use them to keep him out exactly. of the city. Exactly. And right? so if Van Doren's raid doesn't happen, or if Murphy actually is not drinking, because odds are that's what he was doing, if he listens and is able to fortify Holly Springs, somehow get his men ready for these cavalry to fight them, like who knows, right? Grant might have been able to meet up with Sherman and who knows what would have happened. Still, still That's why been hard though. Holly Springs is like, Holly Springs is one of these things that it's a lot more important than what it's made out to be. And in some mm-hmm. ways, I think Holly Springs is the beginning of the Vicksburg campaign. Because oh, it absolutely is. This is the it, game changer. Right no, it, it would have been not a, it might've been hard for him to hold Holly Springs anyway, because he only had 1500 guys. Yeah. Now there were infantry and there's, you know, different versus 3,500 cavalry guys. So it still would have been a challenge, but at least they would have been ready. They would have had some kind of defense. But again, if you're right, you want to play the what-if game that the people on the Facebook don't like. If that is defended and Van Dorn is pushed away and is forced, you know, first north of the Tennessee to get the hell out of there, then that attack is, is able to continue along the way it's going to. It's, it very well could have changed it. And Sherman, although Sherman still would have the same issue with the terrain, he exactly. had a bad map. So it might have been ugly, but they might have been able to pull it off. Because Grant would have been there too, right? And that's what he's waiting for. Grant would have been along the Yalabusha River, and he would have been pulling. Pemberton had to spread his line thin to send troops to fight Grant, exactly. and then the, the difference to fight Sherman. So Sherman had a bunch of guys. He would have allegedly, on paper, run right through them, but the Rebs still had the high ground. They still had the bluffs. They had the guns, and they had the terrain the Union had to deal with. So they probably would have done it, but it would have been a lot harder. Now, if Farragut's guns had weakened them a little bit, had a little more success leading up to that, it might have been a little bit different story. It was probably Sherman's and Grant's worst moment as far as the worst month probably of their campaign time with the McLaren thing hanging over both of them, which is in the the back of their mind. It ends a pretty shitty month for Lincoln, right? I can't imagine. He's got Fredericksburg. He's got... Um, he's got this, you know, he's got like Chickasaw and just, and he's got, and he's got, and he's got got the whole Jewish problem now. Exactly. But he does have Stones River. But he he has Stones River, but but don't forget Grant told it wasn't that big of a deal. So you wonder how, you wonder what Lincoln, what was going through his head as he sat down in New Year's as the calendar flipped from 1862 to 1863. And not that to jump ahead, 63 doesn't start too good for the union either up until Gettysburg. Right. No. So when you look at starting with December, rolling all the way through until May of 63, that's a shitty six months, Mary, for Lincoln. Other than the proclamation. But I mean, Lincoln does believe he doesn't, Grant doesn't tell him that Stones River is, you know, a failure until 1865. Lincoln is going into 1863 believing he has had this mm-hmm. one victory at Stones River. And it makes me wonder that if he still saw it as a victory in 1865, you know, it's pretty significant. I mean, Stones River is a very significant Union victory, as we discussed last week. It's just downplayed. I'm not sure it took that long for Grant to tell him that, though. Looking at Grant, I wonder if he was sending those messages before then because to mask his own issues he was having, too. Who knows? I'm with Grant. But the reality was Stones River takes on more of an importance when you look at what was surrounding it. When you look yes. at Fredericksburg, when you look at the beginning of Vicksburg, Holly Springs, and, and this one, and Chickasaw, and then looking ahead. So that's kind of like the shining moment for him. So again, it, it does take on a bigger bigger significance, like you said, because of the Emancipation Proclamation. Yeah. So it's a fun study it because is. it's trial and error. The mistakes that Grant and Sherman make are going to be tried to rectify throughout it. They try to sail down the old Duck Creek and they all get stuck in the river and they're lucky they didn't get blown up there. And then yeah. there's a, we'll talk more about that next time. You know, they have that failed that blow up the mine thing. And it's just, there's so many things it's that happen so, with Vicksburg. So much, there's so much that happens with it. And it's a joint Navy and infantry thing too, which, which needs to be, the importance of that needs to be stressed because the Navy kind of gets left behind in the Civil War sometimes. But it, this is very much... Navy infantry effort, and there's a great relationship between you know Sherman, Grant, Porter, and Farragut in doing this and achieving Vicksburg as well. Um, but I think you know the one thing to take away from this is that Chickasaw is considered to be the beginning of the Vicksburg campaign. I think in a lot of Civil War circles, but if you look more at Holly Springs, I think that is where it begins because that is what changes the game mm-hmm. for Grant as well 
Holly Springs and the retreat that Grant has to do is what starts sowing the seeds for what is going to happen on the March to the Sea. I don't think Holly Springs can be dismissed as just a raid. I think it is more than that. I think it is... It's the like only it's, cavalry raid that, that stopped a Union campaign. Yeah, according uh, to Ed Barnes, right? Like, yeah. that's, it's, it's so that's significant what he says. in that way, that's what he right? Says, like, no. it's, it's, and, but it's a joint, like, it's not just Van Dorn's cavalry, it's Forrest as well, because Forrest has been in Tennessee ripping up railways, cutting telegraph lines. He's basically severed all of Grant's communications. They both have him yeah. and Van Dorn have right. absolutely severed them. Forrest especially was outnumbered by Union troops and he's able to do all of this. So it is not a shining hour for the Union here at all. They left with mud in their eye, Mary, no question about <laughs> it. But speaking of mud, Mary, coming attractions next week, we are going to roll around in the mud, Mary. We are going to talk about Burnside and the Mud March. So coming attractions as we step out of the Western Theater and go back into the East next week. We're going to talk about Burnside. We're going to talk about Hooker taking over the AOP. We're going to have all kinds of fun talk about that. We're going to talk about mud. So it'll be fun. But I think overall, looking back at this one one last time, it's, um, it's a great study. And I think people, if they study the Vicksburg campaign, there's some great books on Vicksburg. If you read the whole campaign, you'll find that as much as we're giving Grant and Sherman kind of a hard time at the beginning because of the mistakes they made, Grant's campaign at Vicksburg is the most brilliant it is. In American military history, once you realize the whole picture, but this is how it starts. So you realize that they were up against the, the wall at the beginning. So it's a great study. So I enjoyed this. I think it's fun talking about this. And I, I think we'll have a lot of fun talking about this on yep. our live, Mary, next yep. Saturday. On Saturday, Saturday at 10 o'clock. So oh, actually, if you're listening to this episode, if it's before Saturday at 10 o'clock, which it might be depending on when I get it posted, we hope to see you there. But yeah, as you said, like Grant and Sherman make mistakes at the beginning of this campaign, but I think they recover from those and it is a very brilliant campaign and there are a couple of good books that um, we can recommend there is winston groom's book about vicksburg which darren has read and then i would really recommend donald l miller's book vicksburg as well i haven't read groom's but i'm going by darren's recommendation and he and i seem to like the same stuff so i'm gonna say it's it's probably a good book too but miller's book is excellent as well also uh, white's biography of grant american ulysses has a really good recounting of the vicksburg campaign Mm-hmm. as well and same with uh, gene edward smith in, in his biography of grant we will leave grant licking his wounds heading back to memphis and sherman jumping on the boat finding um, out about mcclernand back, finding out about mcclernand mcclernand giving that stink guy right now and we will catch up with them down the road a little bit but for now we were going to exit the west and we'll head back to the east so mary this was a great talk enjoyed this very much with you as we sign off on episode 21 of the civil mm-hmm. War breakfast club podcast we'll be moving on to back like we said before back to the east as we talk about burnside and we talk about mud and that'll probably have a good time we'll follow, follow up that name will be mud Ooh, i see Ooh. what you did there okay <laughs> anyway guys have a terrific saturday and um hope to see you on our live and that's it we'll put a bow on this one mary yep Okay, see you guys later. All right, peace out, everybody. Okay, bye.